Open Nesters podcast is a weekly podcast that explores new ways of living as our kids leave the nest. Now in season three, the podcast topics go deeper and wider in interviews with individuals, couples, and experts in areas ranging from relationships and families to adventure, spirituality, and sexuality. This week on the Open Nesters podcast, the friendship series continues with a guest host, Urel. Tessa, bringing Urel was a great idea. How did that came about? Well, Urel and I are dear friends, and I was talking to her about this friendship series, and I love the fact that she started talking about community and friendship within beauty parlors and salons, and I had no reference point at all, and especially the fact that she comes from the Latinx and the community of people brown and black people who have to do regular maintenance with their hair. So I don't have that experience. And I just loved her, her, her opening and her offering to just, I said, well, maybe you want to be a guest host, our first guest host. And she was so excited to try it. So I want to introduce and thank Urel so much for this beautiful panel she brought to light. Let's hear it from Urel. In this segment, it's about friendships in salons and barbershops and other places. This is part of the Open Nesters uh, season of friendship. And I was having a conversation with Tessa the other day about friendships, and we were going to talk about how we know each other and the, the beauties of those things. But then in conversation, I was also telling her how Friendships also occur in places such as salons and barbershops, and she was very surprised. So from that, I offer to be a guest host and invite some of my own friends and talk about the different experiences as it relates, because I know I'm not the only one that um, has a special relationship with salons. It's a love-hate relationship, but you shall soon hear what that's about. I am Yarel, and I am the host of Ya in Her Journey. And I am here to introduce you first to Dr. India Lorik Wilmot. And India, if you could give a little bit of your background before I introduce the next person. Sure, Yarel. Thank you so much for having me. And Hello to all of the listeners and to my fellow guests and conversationalists. I am India. I am a professor. I am a writer. I am a sociologist by training. And I am also a digital creator, host, and producer to the podcast called Talking Journeys of Belonging to Blackness. And just to add this little bit, because I want to make sure our listeners know, you have an upcoming podcast related to hair or salons. Am I right? So for my January episode, I have the esteemed pleasure to have my guest, Jasmine Nicole Cobb, who is the author of a new book called New Growth. And her book is actually about the representation of Black hair, natural hair in art and visual culture. And so she also talks about the presence of and the presentation of Black hair 
in public spaces, including salons. But by training, she is a arts and cultural researcher and historian in the field of Africana studies. So she infuses just even the representation of how do we see folks like Frederick Douglass and how he presented himself over the course of his profession versus Harriet Tubman. Fast forward to all of the popular culture references that we've seen through magazines such as Marie Claire, Essence, Ebony, and so on. And so her book really engages audiences in that conversation. And I'm glad to be in conversation with her in January. Thank you so much. And hopefully we're going to bring it back uh, near the end of the episode because all of these do intersect. So I want to make sure that we go back to that. Uh, Next on this uh, program, we have Jess Filion, and not only is she friend, but she's also family. Jess, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. I am Jessica Filion, and I am a person with thoughts and opinions, and sometimes I write things. With very beautiful curly hair. Yes. Just going to mention that. And... Our next guest is Melvin Pullen. We needed to make sure that we had a male perspective, and I thought he would be perfect, and you'll understand why. Melvin? Thanks, Jarell. Yeah, this is Melvin Pullen. Uh, I'm an executive in the construction industry, uh, currently living in Amish country, so that is obviously much different than where I grew up in uh, in New Haven, uh, Connecticut. So interested to... Uh, have a conversation and, and uh, talk about the experience because it brought back up some memories uh, growing up. Thank you. So speaking of that, Melvin actually brought us to, to a perfect uh, segment in terms of where we come from, because that also makes a difference. I come from Lawrence, Massachusetts, which currently is the second largest Dominican community in the United States. However, when I was growing up, it was predominantly white. So that helps, you know, set the standard a little bit in terms of where I was coming from. Uh, Jess, where are you coming from? I come from the same place. (laughs) But I also um, spent some of my formative years in Orlando, Florida. And that also makes a difference, I imagine, that comparison. And also the um, age difference. I have to say that generational, I'll add that you were growing up in Lawrence at a time when it was much more predominantly Latin versus myself. So that also can can factor in. Um, And then finally, India. So I am a Brooklyn girl forever. So was raised in Brooklyn, New York, and by way of having Caribbean parents that represent the islands of Grenada, Trinidad, and St. Vincent, with both of my parents being multi-ethnic themselves. And growing up, I also had the fortune of being born and then being raised uh, until school age down in the Caribbean. That kind of migration, that multicultural, transcultural experience around care, beauty, community, Um, was further enriched both when I would go back to my family's homeland and in Brooklyn. But now I live in Massachusetts. So I've made a northern migration and hair was different up here for a little bit when I first arrived. But 
we'll get into that. <laughs> Perfect. So now that we've teased a little bit of, of that, uh, why salons and barbershops? So in my experience, uh, salons, particularly as a female, has always been an important uh, place in our daily life, or at least in our regular life. What I mean by that is what, at least when I was growing up, every week after school, I, when I wasn't old enough, my mom would take me. When I was old enough, I would walk after school to go to the salon to get my hair done. I hated it. I hated it because it hurt, <laughs> because it was long, because it was a place full of women talking. And many times uh, my aunt, who was the hairdresser, uh, would burn me because she wasn't paying attention. And on top of that, every, you know, every eight weeks or so, I had my hair chemically straightened. And that was even worse because that meant it took a lot longer. And when I went away to college, it was difficult because I never learned how to take care of my hair. Um, I always had someone else do it and I, I need to backtrack a little bit. My mom is a certified hairdresser among her many things, as well as several other aunts. So, you know, I had professionals take care of it. Not to mention that my background um, both parents are of the Dominican Republic in that cultural background in which it is normalized to basically Europeanize. What, what's the word? Uh, Eurocentric beauty standards. Think this is why I have smart friends. That standard of European beauty mattered. You needed to take away the kinks and the evidence of our ancestors that were not white. Simple as that. So I suffered in college to the point where my hair fell. How does this connect to friendship? Well, one of the things I also realized is that there's trust. You've got to be able to trust the space that you're in. And one thing that I discovered when I went away to school is not just the person who's taking care of your your hair, but the environment that you enter also can cause either comfort or stress. And, you know, then going back home and starting fresh and all of these things, not only do you just walk in to get your hair done, you walk in to catch up with the people there. That's where that friendship is. They've seen you grow up. They know about your stories. My mom sometimes would come home just a little bit tipsy from spending pretty much till late, you know, just drinking and hanging out with her girlfriends. That was her circle of friends. And that's what I was thinking about when I was thinking about this program. Would you, any of you mind either complimenting or going in, in whatever way you feel based on what I just shared? Well, I think I have some similar experiences in that growing up, I have cousins who are really good at doing hair. 
and really liked doing hair. And so I'm someone who always has had a big volume of hair that was like, my hair is big. Like I'm a Leo rising and my hair shows out. So I, I also, when I went to college, had this experience of not really knowing how to do my hair myself because between my mom and my cousins, there was always someone metiendo mano in my hair. I was lucky enough in college that I also found my person there. And it wasn't at a salon. It was one of my classmates. And I became her kind of poster child for her braiding. I was like her walking advertisement. Um, and, and so there is that level of, of trust and friendship. Like I have very distinct memories of, of my friends. I had a friend who used to, I had a male friend who made fun of me for always having a bandana in my hair, like a little bun. I didn't know what to do with it. And he's like, I bet you, I know how to do hair better than you. And so I was like, all right, bet, do it. And I let my hair out and it took him, I want to say at least 45 minutes to get one braid in a quarter of my hair. And he said, I will never make fun of you again. I feel you. I feel you. actually an, an ex-boyfriend had, uh, you would make fun of me, especially now. He's just like, oh, you learn how to figure out your hair. But it, it is an important aspect. India, I want to give a male balance to, before I get to you. So um, Melvin, the other day we were talking about your experience at the barbershop. And like I had mentioned earlier in the segment, you know, I know that you are very consistent with your appointments. But prior to that, you also said that you still have the barber that you grew up with. Could you talk about that? If anybody knows about a barber, uh, especially in New Haven, there are no reservations. So it's on a first come, first serve basis. And so you figure out what time the barbershop's going to open and say it's 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. You might show up at hopefully 7.30 for an 8 o'clock start. And so people are lined up and you just kind of sit inside and wait your turn. And while you're sitting there, you, you know, you're here. And, and luckily my barber was also the barber for my dad, some of my uncles. And so it was a much more um, older crowd. So you got to hear what the older guys were talking about, what's going on in the neighborhood. And, um, you know, he cut my hair all through high school and up until I married and, and moved away. And um, and so everyone kind of gets to know you and you do not switch barbers and your barber. You can go in and which is we always joke is you tell the barber what you want and then he gives you what he thinks is going to make you look the best. And um, so it's it's a you know, and he's usually right. And uh, so there's there's a comfort level there. And then, um, you know, kind of first thing I did when I moved went to school to Boston, I found a barber. And even though I walked 20 minutes to go find it, I had to find the right, the barber. I didn't want to place that cut hair. I wanted a barber. And, um, and now I currently have a barber, um, in Lancaster who, by the way, when I, the way I found it was I, one of the gentlemen I worked with, um, Puerto Rican descent, he heard me talking cause I was trying to figure out a place to go to get my hair cut. And guys were like, Oh, this place cuts hair, like super cuts. I'm like, no, no, no. I need a barber. And he comes up, he goes, I know what you're looking for. His nephew is a barber and uh, has his own spot. Slightly different because he does take reservations, but it's still the same way. Guys come in 
And because you're in the barbershop, everybody's friends. And you talk sports. You talk about what's going on in the world. You, you know, what's what's the things that are going on that's, you know, challenging us brown and black people. Um, and it's, uh, it's just always a good, uh, just a good experience just to, you know, it's almost like you don't really know everybody, but everybody's friends. That's a very important point right there. You don't really know everybody, but you are friends. And, and it's a different uh, mindset. Thank you, Melvin. So, all right, India, give it to me. Well, I think what's interesting based on what we've shared thus far is the fact that hair is intimate. So that speaks to the level of trust in that someone's hands are going to be on your crown. And I think it speaks to just, I think, two themes around hair and intimacies of hair. Um, one, in that it's personal to you, even if you are within the same family, share the same parentage, sometimes the curl pattern or lack thereof, lack thereof of the curl pattern may differ between yourself and your parents and your siblings, regardless of the biological connection. So it's intimate and specific to you. But there's an intimacy that happens in this exchange in terms of how we present ourselves in public spaces with others, right? So there's a certain level of respectability politics that come along with how we present ourselves and our intimate selves publicly in that our grooming is oftentimes attributed to the ways in which we feel people are going to treat us as our intimate selves, right? So if you leave the house with your hair undid, it's like, oh, there are other attributes about you as the individual that you're lazy, you're unkept, you're nasty because of how you presented yourself and how that's a reflection. Um, I would say for myself personally growing up, you know, it's interesting in that I think amongst black and brown people because of our histories of subjugation and oppression, right, within sort of these white capitalist supremacist structures that were often told and policed about how we present ourselves and how we're talked about in terms of our, our hair. Where we learn to develop a relationship with our hair, male or female or anywhere along the spectrum, sometimes our first messages come from our family or intimate communities. And I learned positive things, fortunately, from primarily the women in my family unit about hair and about how I can appreciate my own hair, my own curl pattern. Like I have wavy, naturally wavy hair that sometimes curls and some parts are straight. It's always been very Thick, just like Jessica talked about her Leo rising hair, my hair shows up and it's always been very long. And the women in my family, some of them have very straight, naturally straight hair. Some of them have more curly hair, but they just sort of knew how to care for hair and therefore taught me at an early age about how to manage my hair and to appreciate my hair. And so I learned those first lessons through them. And fortunate for me, it was positive, but I know that that wasn't always the case amongst a lot of my friends in my own neighborhood and school community too, because there's always this conversation about, well, what's good hair versus bad hair, right? So the curlier the hair is, it's perceived as being unruly, unkept, and then you must tame it, 
right? So that it could be good, which equals more manageable, also straightened hair. Um, I would say my relationship with hair salons in particular is an interesting one because my mother, in addition to before she retired, she was also a cosmetologist. And so she also used to do hair. But for her, she was really big around um, hair care and not just having hairstyles, but really, how's your scalp? Are you taking medication? How does that impact how you how your hair grows and how it lays and how it functions? Um, even with some of her male clients too, um, she would cut hair as opposed to being a barber. And that's in reference to what Melvin has said. But even still, like, well, what's your scalp care like? And, you know, what's going on with your hormones? Because men also experience hormonal changes as well. And so that kind of care I, I began to appreciate. And sometimes you wouldn't always get that knowledge flow in hair salons, depending on where you go. But again, it's about the community of trust and the, and the circle of trust. And I struggled with hair salons in the sense that, interestingly or not, when I would go to predominantly African-American hair salons, they didn't know how to care for my hair. The styles were fantastic. I, I walk out and it's just like, oh, yes, the hair is flowing. It's giving life. It's giving love. It's giving all of these things. But then in terms of hair care and the scalp care and like, oh, you know, maybe you need to change up your shampoo and your conditioning regimen in this way. I wasn't really necessarily getting that. And it's not a fault to or to make a generalization around African-American hair salons. But from my experience, when I came in the door because I'm darker skinned, there were assumptions about my hair texture and curl pattern until they got in it. And they were like, oh, this is different. I don't really know how to deal with this. And I actually found better success when I went to predominantly Latine hair salons. Because perhaps maybe the diversity and the range of diversity that might exist was showing up very differently. And I would agree in that sort of community space, right? So different from my family space, the community space of the hair salon was powerful as well for me in that regard, because I learned other kinds of tactics and approaches to managing my hair and learning to love my hair as an adult, as opposed to relying on people in my household to help me care for my hair. But I would say notwithstanding hair care, I enjoyed the experiences of being in those spaces, whether African-American predominant or Latine spaces, because it was about community. It was about friendship. So I appreciate Melvin's comment around the fact that we didn't know each other, but there was just this connection around community and that we identified because of who we were in that moment in those spaces. Thank you so much, India. You, I mean, you made a lot of good points and I actually would call your mom the the hair doctor. That, that's pretty deep. It's it's true because I believe also culturally we trust the experts. I don't know how it was for you, but when there's the mindset that when you entered school, the teacher knew best. And the same thing when you go into a hair salon, the beautician knows best. So it was a receiving of care without actually being educated. 
So it sounds like your mom gave a very different perspective and that's very much appreciative. The other thing that you brought up and I'd like to talk about is the difference between the past and the present. I believe that all of us, what we have in common is that we do have a history with the salon and the barbershop or or with hair care. Um, Your India's mom being a cosmetologist as well as Jessica's, as well as mine. All three had uh, moms that that took the time to um, get their license. That, at least in my household, is different. I tried to introduce that to my girls, but one, they were not raised in Lawrence, Massachusetts, where there seems to be a hair salon and a barbershop at every corner in a one-mile radius, Um, but also the the difficulty in finding, again, that sense of trust. And also, uh, for the first 10 years, we were a military family, which meant that we moved every two to three years, which meant reestablishing. And when you move to different areas, that's very complicated, especially like you, India. I do best with Latin, specifically Dominican hairstylists. So even though this segment is about friendship and the environment, there's also the the stress that occurs in spaces like that. You can have the conversations that Melvin has referred to. You can have, uh, you can be lucky enough to find someone like India's mom to teach you about hair care. But then you have the other cultural uh, aspects of judgment uh, and of feeling accepted and you by going there are accepted and at the same time you're judged because it depends on how your hair is, if that makes any sense. And Jessica, I don't know if you want to add to that. Yeah, I think I have, so I have, a, I, I, I relate through stories, right? So I've had both really good experiences and witnessed good ones and not so great ones. So my mom, she, when I was in high school, um, she found this hairdresser and they have the same first name, even though my mom doesn't go by that name, which I thought was really funny. And that was like her social time, right? Like my mom finds these women in different times of her life and they end up being her like really close friends, right? So when she had that hairdresser who worked in a hair salon, I felt comfortable going there because it was my mom. And then if I ended up going there after school and being there late, like my mom was fine because she knew who I was with. Like there was no, I have very strict parents. And so that was like, that was cool when we had that and then she moved to Florida. So we lost her. But then even now as an adult, like she has like her person who does her hair, does hair in her home and that's her friend. And I'm like, Oh mom, how's so-and-so. And so I feel like that uh, for, for women in different age brackets, that can be a really a, a source of comfort and friendship. And I, I like being a witness to it. So I can't say that I've 
experienced deep friendships in those ways within a salon space, but I've witnessed it. And that has been really fun to see. So when I was in high school, I walked with my best friend who happened to be a boy uh, from the house to the salon. And I thought, I also come from a, a strict household, no big deal because I made it a, a public thing. You know, he literally was just walking me to the salon and I got my hair done, got home. I was in so much trouble. My mom went off on me because the people, I'm not just talking about one, but the people at the salon saw me with a boy and she just lectured me up and down in terms of our reputation and my reputation and so on. And I'm like, I did nothing wrong. But Melvin talks about, you know, the um, people talk about who's in the neighborhood and what's going on and so on and so forth. Gossip is a huge aspect, which can be confused, I think, with friendship. Uh, there are people that look for each other and uh, the toxicity really goes into the, the whole dynamics of either comparing or talking about other people. So it was, it was an experience that I'll never forget and that I was rather resentful because, again, to this day, I feel that I did absolutely nothing wrong, but it shows the strength of a space like that and how it, you know, it's when you have a relationship, it's hard to get away from because they do look after you. Again, that's the past versus the present. I don't know of spaces that are still like that. I was hoping to to find um, some friends that have that experience, but for the most part, we're also going more into natural hairstyles, and I don't know if that has also affected that dynamic. I was gonna say I still have natural hair, so it's uh, it's not a, it's not an issue at the barber shop. You're funny. You're funny. Yes, <laughs> men are easy. So. Uh- a couple of things, right? So I will say this as having an experience of having a son and going with him to the barber that he's been going to, which is my husband's barber since he was about three, three and a half years old. And I want to say like what's interesting about hair salons and barber shops from my perspective and experience, and it speaks to what your example as Yarel, as well as Jessica, your experiences, your stories, it has a lot to do with the culture and climate of those particular spaces. So, for example, for myself as a mother entering into a barber shop, in many ways, I would feel like I was an interloper in those spaces because they're highly gendered. Like, so barber shops and hair salons are highly gendered spaces. Right. You might come across a barbershop where you might have that one female barber. But for the most part, it's also a safe haven for for men. And as a person who would on occasion, not not any time recently, because I have a college age son now. So he goes and handles his own business. But when he was younger, 
What was interesting about my observation of the barbershops were the kinds of conversations. They were oftentimes about sports, pop culture, politics. That's at least my observation in this particular barbershop. There was multi-chair engagement with the men or and the patrons. I think there were always instances where, depending on the relationship that the barber had with his client, then you might have little things about, oh, let me tell you about my partner, my girlfriend, my wife, my baby mama, my situation, my children, my health. And the same way as I would see that replicated in hair salons with females. In that, it was a lot of conversation. But what I always got the sense about the spaces that I traversed these hair salons was that if the owner and or the lead stylists were folks that did not necessarily engage in gossip, then our whole experience wasn't really about a go run, tell that. Of course, you always have people in those spaces, right? Even I'm sure in these male spaces, including the barbershop, you always have folks who are like, ooh, let me tell you what happened when I was at the club last night situation. However, if the culture and climate is such that we're going to talk about other things, we're going to talk about politics, we're going to talk about, well, you know, this cooking recipe that I want to do or a holiday dinner or what am I doing with my children or, or advice or all these other things beyond just gossiping, then that's what you're going to yield from that particular experience. And that's been my sort of observation about these spaces. But I think these spaces, the barbershops and the hair salons are powerful spaces in that these are just places for information share. Even gossip is information. It's what you choose to do with the information that you're hearing, receiving, and choosing to broadcast, right? And so we've had a history in these different spaces, even if it's just doing hair on the front porch in the neighborhood and the neighbor comes by and it's just like, oh, hello, Miss Mary so-and-so, a child or someone's getting their hair done or braided or what have you, getting prepared for wash day or what have you, there's still information about, oh, did you hear about so-and-so down the street? Oh, did you hear what's happening at the local church? All of all, the, all of these different kinds of spaces. And so I think for folks who are looking and, and for our conversation when we're exploring friendship and relationships, these are just other spaces in which we can engage one another, be in solidarity with one another, and find ways to build community, even if it's on minute aspects of whatever identity we choose to show up with. Well, I was going to say, I think from a from a barbershop standpoint and guys being simple, a lot of the barbershop is just like a safe haven for a guy to be a guy. It's like going to the bar, going to Cigar Lounge, just so guys can talk about the things that guys talk about. And it really doesn't most of the time get that serious. Obviously, some people can get serious about sports and, and uh, some politics, but what's going on in the neighborhood. But it's just a place for guys to be guy to be a guy you know and um and those places are far and far between especially for uh for black males so again melvin um got me in the perfect he, he made that perfect transition because we're now in the last few minutes of this segment and i i wonder based on our conversation with each other would you agree or disagree that there is friendship, a particular cultural nuance in, in terms of friendship in salons and barbershops? 
I now listening to each of you feel that it's more something of the past. However, it's important to note that none of us could speak for the majority. We're speaking in terms of our, you know, our environment and our interactions. Uh, however, in the years now of experience and in moving in different spaces, I feel that it's a lost safe space, at least for a woman, due to the changes in how we express ourselves, are able to express ourselves, and as India mentions, in terms of the politics, how we were policed versus how we're disrupting that form of policing. And now we also have, you know, the protection of, well, in uh, many states, in growing number of states, the uh, Crown Act. Uh, but that's still something that, that is working. So that's why I think it's disrupting. It's not something that is a given. So what do you think? Do you agree in terms of the aspect of friendship in these spaces? Uh, I'll start with Melvin. I, I think it's still there. I think it's the past. It's the, it's the present and the future for, for barbershops. Barbershops have always been around. They're still around. Um, it's a video to a, uh, a predominantly, uh, in my instance, a, a black neighborhood. There are multiple barbershops. Uh, they're always packed. Uh, there are people congregating. There are people talking. And um, and I think there is a natural um, uh, unwritten rule of, of friendship at a barbershop. I, I mean, from the time going to a barbershop and now I'm 46 years old, the experience hasn't really changed. Even in different states? Yeah, you know, the, the, uh, from Boston, I lived in Columbus. Uh, Dayton was a little bit harder because it was a little bit further from um, from the city. But it's it really was the same, the same sort of feel of when you walk through the door, you feel like, man, I'm home. So I would agree with Melvin. I don't think that these spaces you know, what we were talking about in terms of barbershops and hair salons are are relics of the past. I think the same sort of community building that existed in the past, I think still exists. I think that they've expanded in terms of what they may offer to individuals, right? So you do have, for example, hair salons that promote the fact that they are very much into hair care in addition to styling. So that might be a space for people who are specifically looking because they might be, they might have have hair that is chemically processed. They're tired of watching the YouTube styler information videos that they're not really about hair care, but they're like, let's, let me tell you how you can look cute. <laughs> and they're actually looking for some support because they're in the process of transitioning. And so there's community there. Right. Because I think 
to a certain extent, because we have the advent of the internet that you can Google and you can come up and find all kinds of different things like, oh, I could do this cute style myself or I could, you know, try to care for my hair in a particular way. But there's still a need for the expertise that these cosmetologists still offer. And so therefore, these spaces still exist and persist. I think that people are just looking perhaps um, more thoughtfully Maybe they're being more selective in terms of, well, what specific space am I going to enter in? Because so many, when I think about just even the neighborhoods I've lived in throughout my life, yes, there might have been like a couple of hair salons, but, you know, that's Miss Essie over here and you go over here for this and it seems like everybody go to Miss Essie. But maybe if you're still living in the same community, going to Miss Essie's hair salon may not be the right fit for you in that moment. But that doesn't mean that you can't find Haven in other spaces that speak to your particular need in this moment. And so with that being said, I think that they still exist. In many ways, I think about my own personal experience that I was able to find a hair salon when I first arrived in Boston. And I was with this woman. She'd seen me through. Her name is Iris or Iris Santiago. Um, and she was here until she retired and moved down to Florida. And she was actually the last stylist that I ever went to a hair salon. And this is like now maybe 15 years that I've been into a formal hair salon um, in that particular way. Um, but to tell you about the relationship, she's she was always big on hair care. So even though she's in Florida and she's retired, she sometimes does hair out of her home. But we still are in touch with each other on Facebook. And she still shares tips with me. And we can still have another form of community as well. So to answer your initial question about just, you know, is this space a, a place of the or a relic of the past, I think is still very much our present and will be ever more in our future. It just may look different and it, it might operate differently, but I think the things that we can feel from those experiences and feel while we're in these spaces are still the possibility. And I think it's positive. I mean, I think about places like, you know, Georgia, where folks are galvanizing communities around voting. A lot of that conversation happened in hair salons and beauty shop and, and, and barbershops, right? So there's still that history that's there, that reliance on community and space that still exists. Thank you for that, India. All right, Jess, I'll let you finish us off. I think one thing that's important for me as someone who moves around um, across the U.S. is that even if I don't go to a salon, seeing the signs... And you, you can tell what kind of salon is by the signs out front and what they choose for colors and things like that. Like for me, if I see a Latine, especially like a Caribbean Latine salon somewhere, I'm like, oh, there's my people here. So I can say I can be I can feel safer in this neighborhood. Right. So even if I'm not someone who might want to like patronize the salon, the fact that it exists there, that it's part of the community is a welcoming space for me, right? So I think that's really important. And I also want to say that for a lot of people, I know my sister has been a hairstylist for a long time and she has so much, so many customers that she's had over decades. And so she can tell me about like all these like godchildren that she has and like this, and this is this person, this is my sister, this is my sister. And so 
even though I'm not a part of that community because I'm not in the same geography, I, I do tend to think like India and Melvin, but I not just from the side of community, but it's been such a site of agency for so many women. Like that was one of the way my mom got started or my godmother. Like my godmother is so well to do from hairstyling, right? Or like one of the salons I used to go to a lot in high school, like this woman put her kids through private school and she owns the building that the salon is in. And so I do think that it is and I just think of Madam C.J. Walker, right? Like these these empires that were built on hair um, and were a venue for women to really excel. So I I find inspiration in that. I don't think I have found my salon that can serve as my third space, but the institutions of salons and barbershops, they are third spaces, right? And we're innovating on what that looks like. Like I have a friend who his boy built a barbershop inside of a sprinter van and he'll go and pull up to your driveway and he's got the PlayStation and he's got the clippers and it's like this whole exclusive setup. So I think, I think that just like we do with so many other things, um, we innovate and, and we, we, we elevate and, and we're fly. And because black and brown people are super fly, like these institutions will, continue to be those third spaces. Thank you so much for this because, you know, it, it is very easy to look at both sides. And I think that all of us have been able to share a little bit of the pros and cons while at the same time coming to the conclusion in terms of uh, salons and barbershops are, are an intimate space. It's special, especially I think for the black and brown community, for many, not for all, for many. And as a result, friendships happen. I thanks Jessica for for reminding me. Yeah, your sister, she she has a ridiculous amount of godchildren <laughs> as a result of of her her work as well as her personality. I think that's a, a another um aspect of it. You know, this is very much an extroverted place but that introverts can also participate in because you, you've got a little bit of everything. You've got the trust, you've got the confidence and, and so on. So we're going to end the segment now. I think that we could continue to talk about this forever, but I do hope that in this series, our listeners are able to hear a different aspect that we don't typically talk about. That seems to be a, uh, a rather narrow genre in terms of information. India, again, you uh, you have this January episode in reference to uh, salons. And if you could briefly talk about it, but I did even pull, I looked at my bookshelf. Oh, there it is, new growth. I looked at my bookshelf and I have a book of poems called Pelo Bueno, good hair um, and other types of poems, but it just really talks about us. When I was in Barbados, I found this book that I needed to get and it's called Jamila's Amazingly Awesome Hair. And that's uh, for children. And for the last couple of years, the ever popular uh, short film that also is in a book, and I believe they're going to do a series called Hair Love in regards to a father with his daughter, but also 
you know, that connects to, to the mom. So in our culture, in many of our culture, hair is a very important aspect politically, um, identity, uh, historically, culturally, the intersections of all that it means. And I believe that that's where the friendship comes from. We have this commonality that brings us to these spaces that allows us to have these kinds of communications. So thank you again, Melvin and Jessica in India. If you could remind our listeners just one more time of the segment uh, in relation to this particular uh, subject matter. Sure. Thank you. So two things, actually, I just want to plug in in relationship to all the resources that you were talking about just now. I would encourage, I, I think it was a great watch, but on the OWN Network, there was a series called Hair Tales that was produced by um, Tracy Ellis Ross and um, Michaela Angela Davis. Um, and I'm blanking on the third person who also has um, co-executive producer credits on that. But it does something really interesting with folks, right? So, of course, um, they have these mini segments with particular stars, whether it's uh, Oprah, Miss Oprah, or um, the Honorable Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, and other folks that are in there, too, that talks about their experiences. And then intermixed as well, they have different experts or those that are in the field talking about the significance of hair, depending on the theme of that particular episode, whether it's the co-founders of the Crown Act or whether it's academicians that are in the space talking about hair and pop culture, but also intermixed in that visually there are be these beautiful representations of black and brown women and different kinds of hairstyles. And they interpose that with scenes from a hair salon where you have different people, the patrons or the clients and the hairstylists also talking about their own individual relationship with hair, their relationship with each other as clients, with their hairstylists, the whole range. And so it's it's nicely done. I think there are about six episodes. So if folks want to delve in or want to learn more about black and brown spaces as it relates to barbershops and hair salons, that might be a nice place to also start and be engaged in conversation. But thank you for the plug. So on my podcast, Talking Journeys of Belonging to Blackness, like I said, I have Duke professor Dr. Jasmine Nicole Cobb speaking about her latest book called New Growth, The Art and Texture of Black Hair. It's a great read. The book itself has these beautiful visuals within the book, just cataloging all the different ways in which black hair has shown up in pop culture, in the archives, how black and brown hair is described, how the intimacies are related around hair. She talks about the genealogies of hair. So as an academic, it sounds so sexy with all of these multi-syllabic words, the, the genealogies of hair. Um, but she and I will dig in deeper in terms of the topic of hair, why it's called new growth, and really what she means by natural hair when she's talking about black hair. And there's a whole range in terms of the meaning of what that is, both personally and politically. So that episode drops in mid-January. So hopefully folks will check it out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, my friends, 
for connecting with me in this way. I look forward to talking with you further with another subject at some point in the future. Well, since, since friendship is such a dear subject to me, I love this so much because it just brought to light this other spaces that, first of all, and educated me so much. I'm sure most of you have learned so much about the other, a community that is not your own and other ways that people can express friendship is, is so rich in different cultures. It's one of the things I love to listen to and learn from. One thing I have never thought about, how communities and friendship can be created in barbershops and salon or anywhere else where people congregate where they are talking about something very intimate as hair. It's intimate. And I mean, I have friends also that uh, they go weekly for whatever they go for. I, I've just never been one of these people that has a regular connection to a hair salon. And, and yet there's a whole nother level of belonging because of of communities who have been marginalized in America and and they came together and they come together in safety and I I pray that one day there's not a need for that as much of the safety although I do believe that culturally it's important for us to everyone to maintain what's important in their communities the bottom line is that it's a place to find some new friends maybe the hairdresser or the barber become your friend because you can find with them you are able to uh, have somebody to listen to you and be loyal to you and be uh, confident. So, and uh, not necessarily so much the gossip, but the idea that you can confine and trust somebody is is uh, is, is remind me really. Uh, my dad had a very close friend. He was a barber. They grew up together, and my dad used to bring me and my brother and leave us uh, at the barber shop when we have nothing to do, no haircut, and he goes to the market and he buys some stuff and he comes back and he puts a few of the, of, the, of the bags of groceries and then he goes back out and then, you know, he sits and talks with his friend another half an hour afterwards but while we're sitting there just like, Dad, can we go home already? So you heard a lot of stuff. You heard a lot of stuff going up in the neighborhood too, I guess. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I know the friendship that is, uh, can develop in, in barbershop and it's it's brilliant. It's really brilliant how it can happen. It reminds me of uh, almost like coming together. This is such a pop culture movies, but but how it almost is coming to America meets uh, in the heights. In the heights with the, I love the music of the well, women in the barbershop <laughs> in their beauty co salon. Co coming to America was more of uh, the end of the movie where Eddie Murphy really plays four or five people in a barbershop, including the barber himself. Yeah. <laughs> I like how Melvin talks about when you walk in the door, you feel home. So I do hope that you all felt a sense of, of home and, and how friendship can evolve in beautiful places. And not only that, take the opportunity next time perhaps to find that culture uh, at that place. Maybe you can get some new friends. It's true. You, we make I mean, friends you anywhere. Know, you never know where you, who, where you connect with, with who and where. Anyway, thank you for listening to that episode. It was a little different than normal open nester podcast but i hope you got benefits from it and please visit our website theopennesters.com the double n in the middle s at the end we love to hear from you and if you'd like to subscribe through our on, through online our resources you can see our newsletter there 
I'm going to be spend, sending out parts of my ebook about the languages of friendship. So if friendship in particular interests you, we would love you to subscribe also to our podcast. And your comments are welcome in our closed Facebook group. And please do follow us on Instagram, The Open Nesters, and on Facebook. Please. Till next time, this is Amir. And this is Tessa. And we will see you on the next episode. Ciao. You have been listening to The Open Nesters Podcast, a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media. Executive Producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio Engineering by Lucid Sound. Web Design and Blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com.